questions arise that maybe have crossed your mind, such as, is the real problem self-esteem? Should we have more self-esteem? Uh, what does the Bible mean when it says that we need to deny self? Or some translation says that the old self has died with Christ. So uh, what is it? Um, the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. So are you supposed to love yourself or not? As a parent, if you affirm and compliment your child, are you making them proud? Or are you blessing them? So it seems to me that it wouldn't hurt um, if we took a look at this whole issue of what I'm going to call sorting yourself out. Those of you who remember me know that I like puns. Now, I think most of you received sermon notes. If anyone did not, you can raise your hand and um, maybe Henry can or uh, John can pass them out. Okay. Good. I was hoping my sermon notes were here. Great. Sorting yourself out. First thing we like to notice is that sometimes self refers to the old self or the old man. Now, when, he, when Adam was created, he didn't have an old man. He was innocent. But when Eve was created, she did have an old man. Adam. Now, just seeing if you were paying attention. Okay. Now, the Bible says that the old man is your identity that you were born with, that we got from Adam. And that's the bad news. Um, for example, the Bible says in Romans 6.6 6, that something very significant happened. So if you have your Bibles tonight, let's turn over to Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. As you know, in Romans chapter 5, we're told the good news that we can be declared righteous and forgiven on the basis of Christ's finished work for us on the cross, even though we cannot deserve it at all. It's all by grace through faith. But then chapter 6, 7, and 8 deal with the question, how can we experience that quality of righteousness and holiness in our life? Chapter 6 talks about the key of identification with Christ. Chapter 7 says if you try to have that quality of life in your own strength by an external set of laws, you're going to be very miserable. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me, chapter 7 says. On the other hand, chapter 8 says if we let the Holy Spirit take control and empower us, then we can experience uh, that life which is more abundant. So let's look at Romans chapter 6, verse 6. It says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So it says that we are to know something. It's not a command uh, that we crucify ourselves. It's actually a fact. It's not a promise that it will happen. It's a revealed statement that in some mysterious way, if you are in Christ and you're born again, some dramatic change take, took place because God took you out of Adam and put you into Christ. It says here who you were as identified by your family tree in Adam was taken out of the picture. You were crucified with him. And that means that we are set free from the authority of sin. Now, maybe there's some pattern in your life and you feel like you just can't quite get free of it. Well, the Bible has good news. It says legally you're free. It's like you have the key and you can just turn the lock, push on it, and it will open if we avail ourselves of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes it also helps to avail ourselves of the body of Christ. Sometimes we need an accountability partner. Um, sometimes we also need special prayer support. But the fact of the matter is, if, 
If we're in Christ, we are set free from the chains that used to hold us back. Because now our essential spiritual nature is united with Christ. The old man, who you were in Adam, has been replaced by the new you. So we see the old man has already died if you're in Christ. Colossians 3.9 says that you have put off, past tense, the old man. And you have put on the new man. And then, in your spirit, you are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And if, if any gal is in Christ, she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. You might say, well... I know I'm in Christ, and I know that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but mm, I'm not sure if all the old things have passed away. Well, what this is talking about is what has passed away is our legal connection with Adam. Remember, the Bible says in Romans 5.12 that in Adam, all of us have sinned. We show up with that, that baggage when we're born. And also, we add to that because of our spiritual disconnection from God, and what we need is not just forgiveness, we need life. Ephesians 2.1 says, We were dead in trespasses and sins, but if we're in Christ, we're made alive. So this verse says, if we're in Christ, we're a new creation in our spirit, the innermost part of us. Old things have passed away. What is that? Who we were in Adam has passed away. The guilt that we were charged with from Adam's sin passed away. That spiritual corruption that we inherited from Adam passed away. Now, the Bible says, one way to say it is that we're all born with a spiritual birth defect. We are born spiritually disconnected from God. And what this wonderful verse says is that when you're put into Christ, when His Spirit merges with your spirit, then you're a new creation. And all things have become new. What has become new? You have a new essential nature. Paul says we delight in the law of God in the innermost being. We also have a new identity. We're not just sinners anymore. The Bible says so often that you and I are saints. Now, if you do some driving around Montreal, there's a lot of saints um, that these roads have been named after, right? Well, the Bible says each of us have been set apart for God, and that's what the word saint means. We're set apart for God. Your identity is also is that you are part of a royal family, a royal priesthood. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you see yourself that way? Or do you base your identity upon what other people have said about you or what job you do or do not have or whether or not you're married or where you live or what nationality? The Bible says we should base our identity upon our union with Christ. You're a new creation. One of the trainees we've had at Grace Fellowship specializes in ministering to those struggling with homosexuality. He's in that lifestyle for a number of years. And he asked me to help him co-teach a, a weekend conference there in Tennessee. So those he was counseling through a, a website called Setting Captives Free were invited to come. And three different times, we started on a Friday night, went Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and concluded Tuesday morning. And I remember when we went through these truths from Romans, when we talked about the fact that we were in Christ, then the veil was lifted and, uh, with these fellows. And I remember just seeing that the Holy Spirit was making real to them that they were a new creation, that... They didn't have to base their identity on being gay. That's just their flesh patterns. Actually, they're a new creation. And I remember at the end of the, the conference, I'm standing up saying, you know, when I came here, I, I thought that was my identity, that I was homosexual. Now I know I'm a new creation in Christ. And the chains fell off. And uh, one of them who was a, a board member of uh, Ron's ministry in a, in a prominent Christian ministry in the States um, just talked about how meaningful that was to know that 
he has an essential nature that is pure, that's holy, blameless, because as Second Peter chapter 1 says, we've been made a partaker of the divine nature. Therefore, does that sound strange? Have a funeral? How many of you have used a devotional book called My Utmost for His Highest? Oswald Chambers. It's been a classic. Uh, you might like to pick, pick it up. I imagine CLC carries it. Oswald Chambers taught these principles in such a profound way. And I think it's around February in the Daily Devotional. He says every believer should have a white funeral. In other words, if we have been crucified with Christ, and if the Bible says we need to know this and reckon it true, then doesn't that sound like a funeral? We need to say goodbye to who we used to be. That means whatever programming, whatever baggage we have carried through life based upon our performance-based acceptance, trying to measure up to other people, and, and it may have been stained by various failures in our life, we need to realize that our chronological history can be buried. Just wrap up the great clothes, put them in the coffin, and claim the fact that you've been raised with Christ, as Ephesians chapter 2 says. You've been raised with Him and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. If you're in Christ, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places right now. Amen? Amen. I hope you're not afraid of heights. That's pretty high. Seated with Christ in heavenly places. That means that He shares His authority with you. Shares His ministry with us. That if we submit to God and resist the devil, the devil has to do what? He has to back off. He has to flee. Let me ask you a question. Have you had your funeral? Romans chapter 6, let's look at verse 10 and 11. For the death that Christ died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you done that? And down south, when they say reckon, they, they say something like, well, I reckon it's going to be a nice day today. Reckon means I think it might happen. But the biblical term reckon means count it to be so because it really is so. A couple that used to attend Peoples uh, moved to Ontario where, where I served as pastor for 12 years in an agency church there, went on a gospel church. And he was confiding in me what it was like in his high school football team where a fellow was trying to psych himself up for the big game. And he chanted, I'm invincible. I'm invincible. I'm invincible. And Egan, Egan Stapita, I'm talking about, Egan said the first play of the game, he got knocked unconscious and carried off the field. <laughs> I guess he wasn't quite invincible. But a lot of people think reckoning is kind of pretending, you know. Well, I, did I really die with Christ? No. It's realizing that spiritually we're united with Christ. The old you has been replaced by the new you. And you can have a funeral because the old you is out of the picture. You can claim the fact that you're raised with Christ, seated with Him. The Bible says, reckon this true because it really is true. Knowing it is like having a check for $10,000. You might believe that it's real, but if you cash it, that's when you get the benefit, right? Reckoning is cashing the check of your identification with Christ. So the first aspect of self we're talking about is the old self, meaning your spiritual nature in Adam, has already died. You just need to have a funeral. Are we together so far? Okay, let's look at the second aspect of the self-life. By the way, can you see this up here? I'm not really looking. Is that all right? Self sometimes refers to the residue of the old man, which the Bible calls the flesh. 
Now, it's kind of tricky because of different Bible translations. Um, but some Bible translations use the word self in the sense of uh, the flesh. But the Bible says, first of all, that the flesh is in you, but it's not essentially you. Huh? <laughs> Let's look at Romans chapter 7, see if we can show how the scriptures describe this phenomenon. Romans chapter 7, verse 18. 7, verse 18. Paul, I believe it's a page from his journal while he was in Arabia, uh, rereading the scriptures and learning about the victorious life by grace. But he says here, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing, for to the... For to will is present with me in his new human spirit, but how to perform what is good I do not find, brackets, when he's trying to be holy by the law. Then he goes on to say, for the good that I will to do. See, from his spirit, he wills to do good, and so do you and, and I. I do not do when he's trying to be sanctified by the law. But the evil that I do not want to do. See, his new nature doesn't want to do evil, neither, neither does yours. That I practice. Now, if I do what I, the real me, doesn't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but what? The sin that dwells in me. Now, if you were uh, doing some home renovations and you got a splinter, you'd go to one of the nurses. <laughs> no. You'd have a splinter and it would be in you, but would, does that mean you'd have a wooden nature? No. Not unless you're, you know, some statue like a Cherokee Indian down in Tennessee. The, the splendor would be in you, but it wouldn't be your nature. The Bible says in your flesh dwells no good thing, but that's not the essential you. Your spirit has been made new and delights in the law of God. For example, here's my wallet. I think I'm going to need a new one one of these days. But in my wallet, I have a bank card. I have a identification card, Tennessee driver's license, um, library card, things like that. Let this represent my new nature. I have a new identity. I have new resources to live out of. But let's say that because of my mortal body, I still have the residue of who I used to be. So I'll let this wallet represent that. And so here I have Ontario Health Card, a little bit outdated. Um, Niagara Credit Union Member Card, can't use that anymore. Um, MCI. Pennsylvania driver's license. Boy, this is really out of date. Um, Ontario driver's license. Let this represent the flesh. I can still open up and live out of my old identity, my old resources. But that wouldn't be the real me, right? This is who I am. The identity, the resources, the location, the privileges are part of my new nature. So the question is, are you going to live consistently with who you really are in your spirit, or are you going to let the residue who you, who you used to be, the flesh, dictate your actions? Now, the Bible says in Galatians 5 that the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. So that residue, that old programming is still there. It's in you like a splinter might be, but it's not you. They say, John, what's, what's so important about that? Basically this. You and I are not going to live consistently in a way that differs from who we believe we really are. If I think that I'm just a sinner and that I love to sin, guess how I'm going to live, right? And if I obey for a while, I'm thinking, wow, I'm being religious. I'm being good for a while, right? But God says, no, your essential nature is that you're a saint. You're holy, blameless, a partaker of the divine nature. The real you is really on God's side. 
So when you obey God, you're living consistently with who you really are. Does that make sense? And when we sin, as David Needham says in his book, Birthright, when you and I sin, unfortunately, we still are prone to that. We still will sometimes. When we sin, it's what he calls temporary insanity. We're not living consistently with who we really are. We're catering to the old programming or the world or the devil. Are we still responsible? Yes. Paul wasn't saying he wasn't responsible. He's just saying the problem is my flesh. It's not my spirit. My spirit is now regenerated, a partaker of the divine nature. And friends, the reason this is so important is that we need to understand that not only does God see us as righteous and blameless, but our essential nature is, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4, the new man has been created in righteousness and holiness. And if you're born again, the real you is really on God's side. Amen? That's our new nature. Now, what about 1 Corinthians 15, 31? Paul says, I die daily. I thought you said the old self has died. That's true. But this is a figurative use. Paul says, because of my ministry as an apostle, I face death I don't know if I'm going to be martyred today or tomorrow. So each day I start the day saying, Lord, this day is yours. It may be my last day on earth, but it's yours. So what he's saying is that he is denying his rights to live his own life. As he says in the book of Acts, that neither do I count my life dear unto myself, but I might finish the course of the race that God has set out for me to proclaim the gospel, the grace of God. So the death he's talking about is a figurative way of saying, I'm going to deny my right to rule and reign in my life so much so it's almost like having just laying down and saying I'm dying daily. Another verse that relates to this is Romans 8, 12 and 13. It says we should put to death the deeds of the fleshly body. So um, sometimes down in Tennessee we get uh, insects like uh, ants and and uh, various kinds of things. And so you have to get out the, the big spray gun and shh, you know, zap those things. Well, the Bible says the flesh is going to want to show up, but we have to say no and deal with it drastically. The Lord has some very strong words of hyperbole saying, if your eye is offending you, then take strong measures to, to deal with that. I was talking to someone tonight. He says, I choose not to have a television set because I don't want that to be a stumbling block. He's just taking the Lord's word literally. If it's a stumbling block to you, then better to not have one than to to uh, let that be a cause of defeat in your life. Therefore, deny your soulish independence. Continually surrender to God and trust in Christ to live His life through you. Deny yourself. So in terms of the flesh, what do you do? You deny it. You say, no, I don't have to live out of that programming any longer. I had two gentlemen uh, at different times come who were addicted to cocaine. And although um, our center is not called an addiction treatment center, it's just amazing the things that death will cure. And so when they had their funeral, they were able, enabled to say no to the cocaine. And that habit just fell away because Christ living in and through them was not addicted to cocaine. And so as they would abide in Christ and reckon themselves dead, um, the old self dead, that they were alive in Christ, then God set them free from that addiction. Now, I remember one of them said, you know, every day I pray um, a prayer we gave them called the Selfers Prayer. It's about our surrender and identification with Christ. He says, I start out my day praying that prayer to get refocused, that it's not I, but Christ. But because of that, he was walking in victory and God set him free. It didn't take months of intensive treatment because the Lord himself was the counselor. And hopefully we just don't get in the way. And the Lord does the rest. 
So we are to deny our soulish independence. Say no to it so God can live his life through us. And then, in your notes, you'll notice the third aspect. Self sometimes refers to one's personhood. Sometimes refers to your personhood. In other words, who you are as an individual. And in this sense, we have dignity and value. We have dignity and value. Do you notice how it's important to sort yourself out? I mean, we're not talking about denying who you are as a person. We're not saying that you literally died because you're sitting right here and you're alive, thankfully. Um, but do you, as a person, have dignity and value? Why is that? First of all, you've been created in God's image. Let's turn back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, he created them. And as you go into chapter 2, it describes Adam's creation. In chapter 2, verse 7, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Imagine this. Six days of God shaping the earth for human habitation. He gets to the sixth day. He takes some dust from the ground. He didn't say, let there be man. He took the dust of the ground. He breathed into that dust. His very nature and our first parents were created. Adam was created, then Eve from Adam. Notice the difference. He created um, the, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and, and plants and so forth. Just saying, let it be done, and it was done. But when it came to our first parent, he breathed into Adam his very nature. Does that make us special? Yes, it does. It gives us dignity. Now, what happens when, uh, after the Scopes trial in the States, I don't know the history here in Canada, but um, after decades of teaching that, that human life is simply the same except for a, a stage of evolution, the same stuff that animals are made of, that we have no special divine origin, that we are just a product of time, matter, and chance. In other words, the theory of evolution. After decades of teaching that, then the whole value system of our Judeo-Christian heritage has been shipped away so that now if people are consistent, they can be just as concerned about animal rights as human rights. Have you noticed? Right? But if we realize that God has made us in His image then we have dignity and value, don't we? And that's okay. Because we are then to love our neighbor as ourselves, because we have that worth and dignity. In Matthew chapter 10, let's look at Matthew 10, verse 29. Matthew 10. Wait for me, I'll be there in a minute. Matthew 10, verse 29. Here the Lord is teaching about the need to revere Him. And He says in verse 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Friends, God says that to you tonight. The very hairs of your head 
are all numbered. He knows everything about you. He knows when you lie down, when you rise up, and He loves you. He made you in His image. You're more valued than many sparrows. But also, not only are we valuable because we were created in God's image, having dominion over the created realm, all the animals, but we have been redeemed by Christ's blood. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Remember verse 18 and 19? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, which says, Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but you're from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Wow. If you were held for ransom and everybody at People's Church got an offering together and they paid a million dollars of ransom, I'm sure the treasurer says, whoa, that would be nice. We'll pay some bills. No. If someone was able to get together a million dollars of ransom and pay that for you, would you feel special? Like, wow, they did that for me? Let me ask you, what's more valuable, a million dollars or the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? The Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood for you. Let me ask you, are you valuable? Amen? Do you have dignity? Amen. Because of being created and because of being redeemed, you have value and you have dignity. Therefore, when the Lord is asked, which, Rabbi, which is the greatest law in all the scriptures? And you know his answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he went on to add, and a second most important command is very similar. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So there's a sense in terms of our personhood where not only is it assumed, but it's healthy to accept ourselves and realize our own worth and dignity. Now, some Bible counselors have cautioned the fact that it's not saying we need to pump up our self-love. It means that we automatically have self-concern, and that's true. But it's also saying that it's okay to have self-acceptance. It's healthy. And in counseling, we see that oftentimes when people have relational problems, if they think that they're, they're a piece of garbage, in other words, they're worthless, guess how they treat others? Right? Not much different. On the other hand, if we realize that we have dignity and value, that Christ died for us and we're made in His image, and we start to see others that way, guess what? We start to treat them with respect too. First of all, because they are a human being who will live after this life. And that's why, by the way, in Genesis chapter 9, capital punishment, although it seems very severe, is because of that very thing. That murder is not only a crime against a living creature, it's a crime against God because we're made in His image. So we need to treat each other with respect. And because we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, the Bible says, bear each other's burdens. Do good unto all men and women, especially to those who are the household of faith. And 2 Corinthians 5 says, not only are we a new creation, but we are to not look at each other as believers according to the flesh. But we are to look at each other through the eyes of faith, realizing that as fellow believers, we have dignity and worth. That if you're a gal, you're a princess. Do I hear an amen? <laughs> and fellas, if you're a son of God, aren't you a prince? There is a uh, movie that came out years ago called The Princess Diaries. Uh, this girl's in high school and her parents divorced when she was young, doesn't know much about her father. Gets news that her father dies. Her 
paternal grandmother comes from this small European country with the news, you are a princess. Oh, me. And then she's in an identity crisis. You know, she just thought she was going to go through her high school experience with her friends and and now she hears that she's a princess, but that means that she has a choice to make. Is she going to believe that? And is she going to step up and accept those privileges and responsibilities or not? Should I say what the movie turned out to be? Maybe not. She did accept those privileges and responsibilities. I think there was a sequel. Well, in the same way, you and I, through our union with Christ and through our creation in God's image, through our redemption, we have that value. We are to recognize that in ourselves and have that identity that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. We see ourselves the way God sees us, but then we need to see each other that way too. And don't you think we'll have a more positive fellowship if we see each other with that kind of dignity? Don't you think we'll have more healthy family dynamics when we see each other with that kind of dignity? One more thing. Our unchangeable features, our basic physical traits, gender, race, parents, time and history, were determined in God's providence. God's providence, how he governs human history. He didn't just create things and, and stay in heaven. He didn't just kind of wind up a clock and leave it by itself. He's intimately involved in human history. As someone said, history is his story. Kind of divide it in the middle. Ephesians chapter 1 says he works out all things according to the counsel of his will. So notice, for example, in Exodus chapter 4, here God appears to Moses at the burning bush. Moses, I got a job for you. Go and speak to Pharaoh. Let my people go. And what does Moses say? Who, me? I'm not eloquent. What does the Lord say? Moses, I'm the one who made you. What are you telling me? You're not eloquent. Aren't I the one who determines someone's physical characteristics, whether they're have a handicap or not, whether they're eloquent or not. And so that was the issue. Would he trust God's providence in the situation and God would equip him? And then in John chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, the disciples see someone who is born blind and they say, Lord, who sinned? This person who was born blind or his parents? Jewish thought was that sometimes people sinned in their mother's womb and were punished and were born with birth defects. And God and the Lord Jesus said, neither this man sinned nor his parents sinned but that God could be glorified in a situation. Some of you remember a um, lady who attended the church, Mrs. Diaka George, and she had more than one handicapped child. And I remember talking to her one day, and she described when she came across this passage in John chapter 9, what a comfort, because people would blame her for the birth defects of her children, but then she realized, it wasn't my fault, it wasn't my children's fault, God has a purpose in this. It's ironic that they had healthy children and handicapped children. But the two young men with muscular dystrophy that I remember loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Had a beautiful testimony in spite of their handicaps. Right, Nell? Where, where's Nell, Benin? Raise your hand, Nell. There you are in the back. She used to work with the muscular dystrophy um, young people in Montreal. And what a testimony these young men had in spite of their, their birth defects. Psalm 139. Let's turn there in the Bible. Psalm 139. And then we'll wrap up. Psalm 139, beginning at verse 13. The psalmist David is talking to the Lord, praising Him. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there was none of them. Wow. God knitted you together in your mother's womb. You're special. He redeemed you with the blood of Christ. You have worth and dignity. And our unchangeable characteristics, our gender, our race, the parents God gave us, uh, our national origin, are part of his providence. But, you know, sometimes we resent what we ended up with. But God says that if we trust in his wisdom and accept his providence in our life, our gender, our race, our unchangeable physical characteristics, then it becomes an opportunity for him to be the potter so that he can continue to work in our character and in our testimony to conform us to the moral likeness of Christ. How many of us have been inspired by Johnny Erickson, who wasn't born with a handicap, but after her accident has gone on to be um, an artist, a composer, a devotional writer, and and, a handicapped person's advocate internationally. God has used her in a tremendous way. But for that to happen, she had to accept her unchangeable characteristics. I remember meeting Steve Estes, the co-author of her second book, and he was... uh, her friend during those days of wrestling with God after her accident in the hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. And he described uh, what God did in Johnny's life, coming to that place where she was willing to trust God, even though there are pieces of the puzzle that just she didn't know and they were missing and she didn't know why God let it happen. But she's willing to trust him with the, with the unanswered questions and how has God used her as a vessel of his life. The opposite scenario is, is a situation that I'm familiar with where um, a young lady who was um, describing a very difficult situation in her life. Um, she was just being married uh, recently, but uh, going through a tremendous heartache because her father left her family and had a sex change operation. Can you imagine how that would feel? You know, a parent changing their gender. The Lord, uh, because he denied his physical gender and because he allowed Satan to build a stronghold in his heart and mind he thought the only way to be fulfilled was to have a physical operation and go from being a man to a woman and he has forfeited his family because of that well that's an extreme of someone rejecting God's providence for their life on the other hand if we accept our our racial origin our national origin our time and history our unchangeable characteristics we're saying God I may not have what this person has or that person has, but in your providence, you gave me what I have, and I want you to be glorified. In some ways, we're all kind of ordinary, but that's okay. God must like ordinary people. He made so many of us. But what's extraordinary is that we have the dignity of being made in God's image, redeemed by Christ's blood if we received Him. And if we accept God's providence that placed us in our family, in our time of history, with our physical characteristics... Then the potter, as Jeremiah says, will continue to shape us and conform us to the moral likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, recognize your worth and dignity. Romans 12.3 says, think of yourself soberly. That means you shouldn't have pride because we are, as Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. But we shouldn't reject ourselves and think that we're garbage either. That's not thinking soberly. That's not biblical. So humility is to be realistic. That all that we have is because of God's grace in our life. And then, as we sort ourselves out, we give thanks that the old 
us was crucified with Christ. And as Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me and through me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the first dimension. Second dimension, we are to deny ourself, our fleshly independence. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. That means see things from God's perspective. Let his will be done in your life. And as you do, you'll be on that wonderful adventure of letting God live through you as an ambassador for Christ. And then thirdly, realize that you can accept yourself as a person because you're made in God's image, redeemed by his blood, a joint heir with Christ, and love and value others as God values you. So have you sorted yourself out? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We ask for your wisdom. And we ask that you would so fill us that we would uh, walk in faith, trusting you to live your life through us. Help us to um, accept who you made us to be. Lord, help us to deny the old patterns. And Lord, help us to have that funeral so we can walk in newness of life, knowing that we are a new creation in Christ, that we have a new identity an identity that hasn't been affected by our physical, chronological past, but an identity that's based on our new birth, that we are a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Lord, help us to proclaim the excellencies of you who have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Thanks so much.